with our Bibles open to Revelation chapter 3, uh, I'd like to deal with the Philadelphia church again tonight. We dealt with it Sunday morning, calling the church, calling the church with the open door. And that certainly is true. But there were some things that we didn't have time to get through in that uh, time. So turn to Revelation 3, beginning with verse 7. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, and to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. He that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And we keep in mind that the message to the seven churches were messages to the entire church age. The church age might be divided into seven divisions. The Ephesian age, where they lost their first love. This was in the New Testament time. Paul warned of that. Peter warned of that. Jude warned of that. Others warned. And so the Lord, in the closing message to the church, says, Ephesus, you've left your first love. You had a lot of good things going, but you've forgotten that your first love is Jesus. And that which caused Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth was to keep men out of hell. And the first love of a believer is the Lord Jesus and that which caused him to come, a love for souls. And Ephesus, you've forgotten that. And then he wrote to the church at Smyrna. This was a letter to all who were in that second period of church history, the suffering period. The Smyrna church was a suffering church. Now, Jesus said some good things about Smyrna. He said nothing by way of uh, rebuke. That church had a little strength. He was holding to the word of God but it was under severe persecution. It was during this time that Polycarp, the disciple of John, the beloved, was burned at the stake. He was 84 years old and served the Lord all those years. He had been close at lives with John, the beloved apostle who wrote Revelation, who wrote the book of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, five books. And, and Polycarp had been his disciple. And now in the second century, after Christ, Polycarp, gave his life burned at the stake. 
just a symbol of the suffering the church was under. And Jesus said that's going to be part of the period of church history. Keep in mind that each of these was also an illustration of the kind of churches we would have in all the ages. For example, in that first age, there were some churches like Philadelphia. There were churches like Laodicea. There were churches like Ephesus. There were churches like Smyrna. But there's a specific uh, characteristic of the certain ages. The first church age, the Christians began to leave their first love. The second age, they were under severe testing, severe persecution. The third was the church at Thyatira and Pergamos. These are the third and fourth. One had left the true doctrines, and it had the doctrine of Balaam and, and other things in it. We mentioned that the other night we were talking about it. And then the church at, at uh, Pergamos and the church at Thyatira. One had left their original doctrine, and the other left their original spiritual life. And they got all mixed up in immorality and impurity. It was the carnal age of the church. Then beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, we have the church at Sardis. That church had a name that it was alive, but it was really dead. And then we have the church at Philadelphia. And that's where we are tonight. The church at Philadelphia. Now, would you keep in mind these are real churches, real cities. Our mind's attention have been on Turkey during the last few days. The terrible earthquake with, I understand, 12,000 people dying in that earthquake. The cities that were affected were some of these very cities that we mentioned are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. Historians tell us that Philadelphia was destroyed by an earthquake several times, but it was rebuilt. Some of these churches, like Sardis and others, there's just a little ruins there. There's no continuing city. In Philadelphia, there is even today a city of 15,000 people, and there's a Christian community that preaches the Word of God. Now, Jesus said, uh, church at Philadelphia, I've set before you an open door. No man can shut it. Earthquakes won't shut it. The devil can't shut it. Uh, you're going to have an open door, and there's some reasons for this. The reason that uh, he gives for keeping uh, that church open are very clear. He says, uh, uh, look, he's in verse uh, uh, 8, he says, Thou hast a little strength. In other words, you don't gloat about how strong you are. You recognize with humility that you're not very strong. How important it is for us to know that. In our own strength, we can't do anything. Paul said, I can do all things through whom? Through Christ that strengtheneth me. He can't do all things. He can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. And so uh, the church there had a little strength. And they, he said, you have kept my word. How important it is for us to keep the word of God. Sunday we'll be studying Jude. And we'll read about those who crept in unawares and acted like they were really Christians, acted like they were really leaders in the Christian faith, but they were filled with the devil. And they tried to put in false doctrine and licentiousness and immorality and so on. We see the same thing today. Did you know there are churches? And a man this week told me that a pastor advised him to do this. He said he was going with a girl. There wasn't anybody in our church. It was another 
somebody doesn't even come to church here or anywhere, maybe. He said a pastor advised him to have sex before marriage just to see if he was compatible with the girl. A preacher advised him that. We live in a strange age. But Jesus said there are a lot of people like that. It's going to be like that. Now, he said, uh, you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. And he said, uh, you have kept the word of my patience. Now, the thing that we want to notice about this church is the promise that he gave in verse 10. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That's an interesting statement. Remember that the promises made to the various churches, some of those promises are to all the Christians in that church. Some of them are just limited to that particular church. In this particular passage, he's saying, I'm going to keep you when the hour of testing comes upon all the world. What is that hour of testing? You connected with Thessalonians. You connected with Paul, what Paul said in Timothy. You connected with Matthew 24, what Jesus said about the great tribulation. You connected with Revelation 13, with the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. I believe he's talking about the tribulation period. And he says, I'm going to keep you from that time of testing. Do you remember Jesus said, except that time be shortened, the elect would be deceived? Do you remember in the Old Testament when God got ready to uh, uh, punish uh, the world by a flood? He warned Noah 120 years before the flood. He said, you go preach. Go warn them. And while you're preaching, build this ark because I'm going to bring judgment. Nobody had ever heard of rain. Nobody understood anything about a flood. And Noah just kept on preaching. There's going to be a flood come. There's going to be judgment come. And they just laughed at him and scoffed at him. How many repented and put their faith in God? Not one. And then the waters began to come. And God put Noah and his family in the ark. And the rest of the world perished. Notice that God delivered Noah out of the judgment. When God was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham prayed. We talked about in Sunday school meeting tonight, Abraham Jewed God down. God said, I'm going to, first God said, uh, if I can find 50 righteous people, I'll, I'll deliver the city. And uh, Abraham said, well, Lord, how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? And God couldn't even find 10. God said, finally, not Abraham, but if I find 10, I'll deliver the city. But he couldn't find 10. So you know what? He went beyond Abraham's words. He knew what Abraham was praying. He was talking about his son, his, uh, his uncle, nephew, Lot, Lot down there. And, and God went down, sent an angel and knocked on Lot's door. And uh, Lot let him in. And the men, the evil, wicked Sodomites of the city came and walked, knocked on the door and wanted to come in and, quote, know, quote, those men in a carnal way. And uh, Lot wouldn't let them. And finally, the angel reached out and blinded all that mob. And the next morning, the angel said, Lot, you've got to get out of this city. What I'm trying to say is that God delivered Lot out of the day of trial, out of the temptation. 
out of the great tribulation. That could be repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. I believe that's what he's referring to here. He says, Philadelphia church, when the testing time comes, when the great tribulation comes, I'm going to deliver you. Now, folks, I'm not sure that he's just talking about the Philadelphia church because of its characteristics. I believe there are other references in the scripture that suggest he's talking about every true believer. There's coming a day when the world will be at the epitome of tragedy. Sin will be rampant. And all of a sudden, Jesus is going to come. And those who are his own, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, what joy shall fill our hearts? We're going to be taken out of this awful tyranny. And we'll look back. And if you read carefully Revelation 4 through 19, you'll see what's going to happen on earth and in heaven. In heaven, those of us who have gone, those who are saved, those who are the believers, will see the great throne of God. It doesn't say we're going to see the face of God, but we're going to see Jesus. And we're going to join heaven's choir in singing, holy, holy, holy. Uh, we're going to sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and honor and power and joy and glory because he was slain and has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every kindred and tribe and tongue and nation and has made us kings and priests in the earth. That's going to go on in heaven. But you look in chapter 6 through 18 and you'll see the terrible tragedy on earth when there will be wars and rumors of wars and there will be tyranny and half the sea creatures will die and the waters will turn to blood because there's so much carnage. And the blood in the valley of Jezreel will be up to the horse's bridle, such carnage and, and tragedy. I believe he's saying, I'm going to take you out of that. You don't have to go through that. Over and over again. But listen, we need to be prepared to see the stage being set for it. And I think we're seeing it now. Did you know in the last 35, 40 years, there's been a huge change in America? Now, only the spiritual discerning can see that. Some will say it's always just been like this. No, it hadn't. When I came to Bowling Green, the schools were wide open. Every time we had a revival, we had an evangelist at the school. Every, all the schools. I've preached in every school in Warren County and in Butler County. Can't do that anymore. Over in Russia, you can teach the Bible, you can preach in the schools, but not in America. There's a bias against Christian faith. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but I want to tell you, we're seeing the stage set. And it may be that some young people and some little children that are here tonight will have to see the beginning of the tribulation unless they get saved and are caught up out of it. That's the reason we need to reach the children. Folks, that's one big, big, big reason for a bus ministry. Moms and dads don't give a hoot. They don't care whether their kids come or go. They don't care anything at all. And you and I must go and bring them in. When we dedicated that wing over there, Carol Peacher stood here and sang, sang open the gates of the temple and let the children in. 
That's one of the ministries of this church. And we need to keep on at it because their souls are precious. We need to win them to Christ and bring them in. And Jesus said to that Philadelphia church, I've given you an open door. No man can shut it. Now, very frankly, some might try to shut the door of God's church. But Jesus said, I'm not going to let it happen. You just keep on being faithful. Keep on being faithful. I'm in charge. God is not dead. Years ago, when Dr. Lee was pastor of Bellevue Church in Memphis, he'd gone down to Mississippi. It was during the Depression years. He'd gone down to Mississippi to have a revival meeting. And at night, one night in the night, he got a telegram. They didn't have all the kind of communication we have now. And the telegram said, come home, pastor, or the church is going to die. Well, he got on a train, went, went to Memphis. He had a meeting with his deacons and went to the church. They were all worried because of the debt, huge debt, and they couldn't pay it. They had, they had mortgaged the church, uh, given a second mortgage to pay the first mortgage on the building and so on. And Dr. Lee got up and said, this is God's church. God is not dead. We're going to come through this. And together they united. And by faith, they came through it. And they started an offering for missions, and they gave more to missions than any other church in our convention. And for years and years and years they did this. And now Bellevue Baptist Church is one of the great uh, uh, pace-setting churches in America. Why? Because the people believed that God was not dead, that God's church was okay. Now, folks, let's be true to Him. Let's just be true to Him. Believe His Word. Practice His Word. All of us ought to be involved in going soul winning, snatching people as brands from the burning. More people need to be in the bus ministry. We need some more bus drivers, bus pastors, bus helpers. We need people who will go out on Thursday and knock on doors, on Saturday and knock on doors. We need additional Sunday school workers. Nobody should quit and say, well, I'm going to quit. I've had it enough. I'm going to just keep on keeping on. Don't ever quit. That's the Philadelphia church. And Jesus said, you know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to give you. And this is the wonderful reward. Verse 12, he that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, I don't mean that means a a concrete pillar. We were down at the Parthenon yesterday, saw those concrete pillars or whatever they're made of. They're beautiful, huge. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He said, I'm going to make you somebody in God's church. I'm going to make you a pillar in God's church. You're going to be a somebody. And... uh, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name, a new name written down in glory. Now, let's classify ourselves in our heart of hearts. Are we part of the Philadelphia church? This is an age, roughly speaking, that dealt with the church during the modern mission movement from the late 1500s and 1600s. From the time of Adnorm Judson and uh, Luther Rice and other great uh, missionaries uh, who went out. Uh, One of the missionaries told the Baptist Association in London, uh, God has called me to the Burmese people and to the the people of India And one preacher said, sit down, young man. If God wants to convert the heathen, he can do without my help or your help. That was the attitude of the church. Well, the Lord moved in and dealt with that. And the missionary went out 
And this was the beginning of the modern missionary movement. And during that period, God gave an open door, <clears throat> a church of an open door, and there was a great modern movement. This is not to be confused with the Protestant Reformation. This came after the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation uh, is rough, roughly um, identified with Sardis, the church that was, was uh, biblically alive, but spiritually dead. Did you know it's possible to know the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, know it all and not give a hoot about souls. God help us, deliver us from that kind of orthodoxy. We need the orthodoxy of Jesus who came from heaven to earth to save me and you and to take us on to heaven. And Jesus promised a wonderful promise to those who would be like the Philadelphia church. Let's bow together in prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you for that wonderful church, the Philadelphia church. We pray that God's Holy Spirit will help us at Glendale to be that kind of a fellowship, that kind of a church that has concern for souls and a love for people and will reach out in the highways and hedges and bring them in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What song are we singing? 464, bring them in from the paths of sin, from the ways of sin. And as we sing this, <clears throat> if God has spoken to anyone here about a commitment, maybe it means just come to the altar to pray. Maybe it means stand right where you are and just say, Lord, I don't have the burden that I ought to have. I don't, I'm not going like I ought to go. I want to tell you, you'll get the burden when you go. There, there are times when God gives us a burden before we go, but most of the time you have to go to get the burden. And when you go, the burden will increase. Uh, I was concerned about the Mexicans, but I wasn't nearly as concerned until after I got there. I saw a guy like Manuel, who rode up on his horse. He was lost, gave his life to Christ. Next day, brought his wife back and she got saved and on and on. You see, your burden comes when you go. Same thing in Bowling Green. When you go out and knock on doors, the burden comes. And when you have somebody in your heart, that needs Christ, let's go after them and believe God to give them, uh, give them to us as brands plucked from the burning. Well, if there's somebody here tonight who is not saved, you're not sure you're saved, will you come to Christ just as you are as Jesus speaks to his heart? Our hearts.